Please be seated. So in the holidays, um, we do various topical sermons, and also I have been going through some of the minor prophets. So we've done Micah, or we've gone through a summary of Micah, and surprise, surprise, this morning we're in the book of Joel. So if you can find the book of Joel, that'll be fantastic. I spoke to someone this week, they said they'd never heard a sermon in their lives on the book of Joel. So I, I hope I'm... I'll be all right now. So Joel is found between Hosea and Amos. Very helpfully again, I'll help you with that information. Um, You might want to use the contents page. So I've called today's sermon the worst news ever. And if you came to church today wanting to be lifted up, well, I'm sorry about that. The worst news ever. Just hold... We'll get there. I'm sure you've been looking at the news uh, the last few weeks and you've seen the horrific fires in Australia. Now, please hear me. Some people have been on the media saying, yes, it's because it's not what I'm saying, all right? I'm not saying Australia have sinned and now God is judging them for their sin using fire. I'm not saying that. God knows what he's doing. But when we see these horrific scenes before of us and some of those people who thought they'd seen the worst and then they get worse news, there's a more bigger front coming your way. You have to leave your home. Why do things like this happen? Is it just climate change? If it is that. Is it just overregulation and people not allowing to cut down trees around their properties? Or is there a bigger picture? Is God speaking in the situation? Because He is speaking. When you and I hear bad news, you hear news that is extremely bad, and who knows what lies ahead for us this year? Every single one of us. And you thought it couldn't get worse, and then you hear news which is worse, and it's the end for you. Why do these things happen to us? Is there a bigger picture? And Scripture says there is a bigger picture. And so we're going to be looking at that bigger picture in the book of Joel today. Because they were going through extremely hard times. And they thought it couldn't get worse. And it did. So let's go and read about it. And we're going to do an unusual thing. We're going to read halfway through the whole book of one prophet. So the book of Joel, if you found it by now. Verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders. Give ear, all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? Tell your children of it and let your children tell their children and their children to another generation. What the cutting locusts left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. In other words, there's not anything left. Awake, you drunkards, and weep. And wail, all you drinkers of wine, because 
of the sweet wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. For a nation has come up against my land, powerful and beyond number. Its teeth are lion's teeth, and it has the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vine and splintered my fig tree. It has stripped off the bark and thrown it down. Their branches are made white. Lament like a virgin wearing sackcloth for the bridegroom of her youth. The grain offering and the drink offering are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn, the ministers of the Lord. The fields are destroyed, the ground mourns because the grain is destroyed. The wine dries up, the oil languishes. Be ashamed, O tillers of the soil, wail, O vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field has perished. The vine dries up, the fig tree languishes, pomegranate, palm, and apple. All the trees of the field are dried up, and gladness dries up for the children of man. Put on sackcloth and lament, O priests. Wail, O ministers of the altar, go in. Pass the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God, because grain offering and drink offering are withheld from the house of your, Lord, of your God. Consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God, and cry out to the Lord, Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and as destruction from the Almighty it comes." Is not the food cut off before our eyes, joy and gladness from the house of our God? The seed shrivels under the clods, the storehouses are desolate, the granaries are torn down because the grain has dried up. How the beasts moan! The herds of cattle are perplexed because there is no pasture for them. Even the flocks of sheep suffer. Now if you've seen anything of Israel and sheep, they hardly there's anything there, but they still survive. But even those sheep suffer. To you, O Lord, I call. For fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. And flame has burned all the trees of the field. Even the beasts of the field pant for you. Because the water brooks are dried up. And fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. And there I think of, look at what happened in Oz. What a picture. Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness, there is spread upon the mountains a great and powerful people. Their like has never been before, nor will be again after them through the years of all generations. Fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but behind them a desolate wilderness, and nothing escapes them. The appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like war horses they run. As with the rumbling of chariots, they leap on the tops of the mountains, like the crackling of a flame of fire, devouring the stubble, like a powerful army drawn up for, for battle. Before them peoples are in anguish. All faces grow pale. Like warriors they charge. Like soldiers they scale the wall. They march each on his own way. They do not swerve from their paths. They do not jostle one another. Each marches in his path. They burst through the weapons and are not halted. 
They leap upon the city. They run upon the walls. They climb up into the houses. They enter through the windows like a thief. In other words, like locusts. The earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and the moon are darkened and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord utters his voice before his army. For his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful. For the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mournings, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God? Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep and say, Spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? We'll carry on again next week from there. But Joel was bringing them bad news, right? His, word, his name means Joel himself, and, and a lot of times this meant something as part of the message to the people. Joel's name means Yahweh is Elohim. Two names of God. Yahweh, God of the armies, God of the Lord of hosts. He's the Lord of hosts. And Elohim, He's the God of gods. There is no other God like Him. All other gods are false. He is the only God. And so, put that together. God of the armies is the only God. Now, that had a lot of implication into the situation. So what's the setting here? Because um, we don't know too much about Joel. Not much is known about him. He was one of the earliest of the minor prophets. And he probably ministered during the time 874 to 850 BC. Now there are some scholars who say he came much later, but most would say no, he was an early prophet. He mostly prophesied in Judah, which is the southern kingdom. And it was then under the last of the reign of King Jehoshaphat. These are all names you probably might never have heard before. Okay? King Jehoshaphat ruled in Judah. And at the same time, King Ahab was reigning in Israel. Okay, so that puts a bit more picture on for you. Elijah was the prophet, the major prophet in Israel, at the same time that Joel was the prophet in Judah. So southern and northern kingdoms. And as we know from the history of Israel, it was a time of drought, severe drought. Because Ahab, uh, Ahab had sinned before the Lord and Elijah had prophesied, there will not be another drop of rain until you listen. And so through all that long time, there had been right across Israel a great drought after drought after drought. And with the drought came locusts. That's what happens there. They had 
big swarms of locusts, wave on wave of locusts. It's stated that in Africa, way back in um, the early 1800s, there was a, a plague of locusts which started as a small bunch of locusts which grew and grew and it lasted for 14 years and it devastated a whole bunch of northern Africa until it ended in Egypt and it brought devastation and starvation. Nothing new in history. And here in the middle of this, what they thought was the worst situation of locusts, Joel says, my friends, it's going to get bigger. It's going to get worse. So the nation was in dire straits. They'd had not just drought, not just locusts, but successive military armies had invaded the country. It wasn't a good time to be alive. Army after army had invaded the country. And so together with the drought and the locusts, the people were really depressed. Everything around them was being destroyed. The locusts were even eating the green bark off trees. That's how much they were eating. There was nothing. Branches were stripped bare. And so no harvests, no food for the animals meant people were starting to starve. The economy was devastated. And for a nation which centered around worship of God, worst of all, there was nothing to bring to the Lord as an offering. There was no grain offering to bring to the Lord. So is the Lord going to punish us? And so spiritually, as we see from the book of Joel, the people were calloused and indifferent in their sin. They were calloused in their sin. What does that mean? A callous. What do we get calluses from? Now, if you speak to my friend back there, the farmer, Keith, you go and shake hands with Keith, all right? They're not gentle office hands. If you can feel most of his fingers, you'll feel he's got hard hands. Why? He's been a hard-working farmer his whole life. Don't get a big head now, Keith. But when you use your hands a lot, they get calluses. Why? From a re repetitive movement of something over your hands, right? They build up a thick bit of skin there. Calloused hands. People were getting calloused because of their sin. Sinning and sinning and sinning and sinning and getting used to it. Being calloused. And they were becoming indifferent to their sin. What is that? So what? I'm going to sin. So what? What's going to happen? And this in the middle of all this happening to them. But Joel doesn't speak of any specific sin in the whole of his prophecy. He rather calls the people to real repentance before the Lord. You see, what they were doing is they were coming to the temple and they were saying, Lord, we are sorry that we've sinned against you, but they weren't really sorry. They were tearing their outer garments because of the drought and everything happening, but their hearts weren't being torn. And that's what he prophesies about. I think we often have that a reflection of that when national crises happen in, in countries. We've had our own crises in this country in this last year as well. What happens? Countries call for a national day of mourning, right? Good that we do that because it shows that we feel with those people. But it doesn't go deeper than that. You see, we should be mourning before the Lord too. Because crises happen for a reason. And we'll get to that. 
So Joel says to the people through this prophecy of his, he says to them in verse 2, hear and listen to what God says to you. In other words, pay close attention. You thought the locusts and the drought are bad? Well, instead of a locust army, a human army that looked like locusts on this country is going to invade. You see, he was prophesying about an event that would happen in the very near future. And we've got the benefit of standing back in history and having a look. What happened in their very near futures? They didn't listen to the Lord. The Lord said, I will judge you. What happened? The nation went into exile. The Babylonians came on the south. The Assyrians came on the north. And they went into exile. They'd never have thought that ever in their lives. They thought their troubles were bad, but they never knew how bad it was going to get. And so he says to them, listen to me, I'm warning you. If you think it's bad now, it's going to be much worse. The day of the Lord is coming. And this phrase that he uses is the first time that a prophet uses this phrase. Joel is an early prophet of all the prophets that were in Israel and Judah. And he brings this phrase into prophecies. The day of the Lord. It's not a new thing, but this phrase he uses. The day of the Lord. And that the people generally came to understand, or they thought they understood it, as the day when God would judge their enemies and vindicate them. But he says, no... The day of the Lord is the day when the Lord judges you for your sin first. And then he will judge your enemies. Do you see the difference? They thought it's a day when God will save us from our enemies. Day of his judgment. He says no. The day of the Lord is the day when the Lord judges you for your personal sin. And then your enemies. You see, these temporal disasters, this famine, the locusts, these armies invading, they were all just a partial fulfillment of God's judgment on them. God was warning them, turn to me, repent. A greater judgment lies ahead for you. Yes, they're locusts now. What is the message you're supposed to get when you see these locusts, when you experience the drought? It is repent, come to me, be saved. Bring your sin to me so that I can forgive you. Because if you don't, a greater disaster awaits you. Repeatedly we get that through all the prophecies. The day of the Lord is coming. You see, the day of the Lord and all these events were forerunners shouting out about a greater event that would happen. They were warning. And what was the reaction supposed to be from the people in these events? Repent. Jesus explained that in Luke chapter 13. People came to him and said, Lord, the tower of Siloam has fallen over and killed all these people. Were they worse sinners than, than we are? Or were they worse sinners than other people? Is that why they were punished? And what does the Lord say? He teaches them how to respond to crises. No, says Jesus. The tower fell on them. Why? So that you would repent unless a greater disaster comes on you. So that you will repent of your sins. The words he uses are, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Wake up, says the Lord. When crises happen to you, it is a call to repent if you are not in a right standing with the Lord. Otherwise, a greater disaster will come on you. And so, sovereign God, 
the Lord had introduced human armies into Israel and into Judah. But he could also take them away. He is sovereign over all the armies. Isn't he Yahweh, God of the universe, God of the armies of the universe? And as sovereign God, he could take this vast foreign army, which he was going to bring on them in judgment. He could take that away as well, if they would only repent. And so that's what he calls them to. And so, yes, when we stand back, we can see that this prophecy that Joel brought to them actually came true. The Babylonians came in and overran Judah. Between 608 and 528 BC, they went into exile. It came true. What they thought would never happen, happened. The day of the Lord was at hand for them. And in God's all-knowing wisdom, and this prophet would never have envisaged this at all, but we can, because we can stand back and look at history, we could see that the day of the Lord that he was prophesying was also the day when the Lord God would intervene in human history and in the life of Israel as a nation, and he would send the Messiah in the midst of all their national tragedy with the Romans in their country, and they thought it could never get worse. They didn't, they didn't even know about the persecutions coming. And the Romans would ramp up their revenge against Israel. God sent his son, the Messiah. In the midst of tragedy is grace. Isn't that always the amazing thing? And that's what we find in the book of Joel too. In the midst of tragedy is grace. We'll come to that now. The Lord says, repent. Turn to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful. Well, here was a prophecy pointing to when God's son would come. And he would be gracious and merciful by sending his son. And he would make a way to come out of this predicament for his people. And not just that, the day of the Lord is also pointing to that time, says Joel, when God would pour out his spirit on his people and they would prophesy. What does that mean? Well, it was pointing to that day when he would send his spirit on the day of Pentecost. When in the midst of tragedy and so-called disaster, there was the grace of God on display. He sends his son. He sends his spirit. He sends his grace. He sends life. Man, there's a lot of hope for us because of this great God of ours. And so it was pointing to mercy in the midst of the day of the Lord. And then to use a big word, eschatological, okay, the study of the last things. With the, hind, with the beauty of hindsight, we can look forward from Scripture to see that the great day of the Lord is coming to you, with a capital D. And he was pointing to this too, that that greatest of peak when the earth, when time on earth will cease and God will judge his people everywhere. And this prophet was saying, Repent and believe, for the day of the Lord is coming too. And that's where you and I are drawn into the picture. Because we aren't living in the time of Joel. We're not living in the time of, of Jesus in the time of the New Testament. We are living in 2020. Those things are behind us now. What lies ahead of us is the mercy of God and the judgment of God. And this too is to us a prophecy we need to listen to. So we need to hear what the, what the Spirit says to us. And so we need to hear the bad news before the good news. And that's why I called it the bad news today. 
because next week's the good news. But hang in. You see, was Joel's prophecy all bad news? Was there no out for the people? Was God's judgment to overcome His people? No. Praise the Lord, it's never no. There is always God's mercy in the midst of judgment. There's always His mercy for us. And so there we see that the bad news had to be understood first. Otherwise the good news would not have the impact. I'm going to give you an example. In the country that I come from, the first heart transplant was done by a fantastic doctor, very clever man called Dr. Chris Barnard. Now imagine if you had a bad heart and you had an appointment with Chris Barnard and he said to you, I've got bad news for you. We've looked at all the charts as much as they had those days. They didn't have all the fancy stuff we had today. A few spanners and a bit of wire. We've looked at all the charts. We've looked at your ECGs and you'd better enjoy the few days you've got, but you're not going to live long. You're going to die. That's bad news, right? You guys don't look shocked by that at all. But that is bad news. It doesn't get much worse than that. But then the doctor says to you, but, now you're hanging on every single word he says. You're going to die, but, I can possibly perform a heart surgery on you, which will save you. Yes, there might be risks, but at least you will live. Do you want to go ahead with that? What do you think you're going to say? Nah, I don't think so. Nah, I don't like pain. No, of course not. You're going to jump at that chance to get a new heart, right? It's good news because you understood the bad news. You see, Joel had to explain the bad news to them before the good news got its proper context. And you know, the sad thing with us as believers is we've forgotten the bad news. And that's why the good news hasn't that much impact on our lives anymore. That's a sad truth, you see. That's why we've got verses like Romans 3, 23. And I want you to turn there because I'm in Joel and Romans, all right? It's a good combination to have. Romans 3, verse 23. Here's the bad news first. You ready for it? Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You're going to die. There's the bad news. That's the true condition of the human soul without the Lord. You are going to die. You see, sin's not popular to speak about anymore today. Society doesn't want to hear about sin. Society doesn't want to hear you're going to die because of your sin. All kinds of excuses come up. And in churches today, they don't want to speak about sin to people who've come into the church because it might drive them out. It's not popular. And so what do we do? We jump to the excuses. We avoid it. 
We bypass the unpopular and the inconvenient truth of sin. We jump, jump straight away to the solution. Jesus can save you. But I'm not, I don't even know what I'm being saved from. But He can save you. And so we get easy believism. People come to Jesus on the spur of the moment because they feel hyped up by a service. They will come and give their hearts to Jesus. And thousands will respond. But it's never a true conversion because they haven't understood why they're being saved. They haven't understood that without Jesus saving them, they would be lost for eternity. We haven't explained sin. As Christians, we've forgotten this truth. We've forgotten what sin we've been saved from. And so we give in to daily sin. We become callous towards it. Our skins grow thick towards it. We become indifferent to the sin in our lives. We get clever with the sin in our lives. Under progressive Christianity today, which was, by the way, the same thing the Corinthian church suffered from. They made excuses for sin. We start making excuses for our own sin as believers. We start avoiding getting away from our sin. We start accommodating our sin. We start justifying our sins. We start ignoring our sins. We start getting used to living with our sin. We start to give our sins pet names because we really don't want to get rid of them. We start to say, it's too hard to change. We start to say, it's going to cost me too much. We start to say, but it might cost me my career, everything I've done so far. We start ignoring our sin. And it's exactly what Joel was speaking about. Joel, the prophet, says this morning to you and I, he says, stop making excuses for your sin. Stop being so calloused to your sin. We're at the start of a whole new year. Are you going to fight against your sin? Are you going to make war on your sin? Or are you going to sign a declaration of, I'll accept you in my life? What's this year going to be like for you? You see, Joel says to you and I this morning, we stand under the real and the imminent judgment of God. I'm speaking about believers. Yes, we've been saved for eternity, but you need to confess your sin before the Lord. You need to have that heart attitude in you that I will not endure any sin in me. And the moment I sin, I will take it before the Lord because I love my Savior, the one who died for me, at such great cost. We need to grow thin skins when it comes to sin. If you get older, and I'm starting to show some symptoms, your sin, don't laugh, your skin gets thinner, right? And what happens to thin skin? You start feeling all the little things. Yeah? You can't take much on it anymore, and then it bleeds. We need to grow thin skins to sin. 
We, not, we need to feel the little pricks of sin in our lives. Don't get callous towards it and grow thick skins. Because then we're in exactly the same predicament as Joel's people. I plead with you this year. Make war on sin. Be a people holy to the Lord. Set apart for Him, not just in creed, but in deed. Make war on sin. Return to the Lord to receive the good news of the gospel. Receive, return to the Lord again. We're back in Romans chapter 3, verse 24 and 25. Here's the good news. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Here's the but. And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who God put forward as a sin payment, a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Let's not be dumbed down to that message. God sent His Son for you and I. So let's make short work of sin. Let's return to the Lord and be, and be cleansed of our sins. You see, the prophet calls the people to repentance in chapter 2 of 12 of Joel. He says, yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Man, that's a powerful message. We can sit in church all year and rend our garments before the Lord. Go through the motions of, of worship. Yes, Lord, praise your name. Hallelujah. Learned a new song today. And yet our hearts are far from Him. Yet there's sin dwelling in our hearts and we don't have it dealt with. We give it new names. We give it clever names. We learn to live with it. It becomes our best friend. And the Lord says, I will not allow sin in your life. I love you too much, says the Lord. I sent my son to die for you, Jesus Christ. I will make you holy. And so what does the Lord do? He brings adverse circumstances into our lives sometimes. He uses that as well. So that we'll be driven to our knees again. And listen to him. So that we will come to him and experience forgiveness. So that we will be declared justified. So that we will experience his grace, his mercy and his love. That free gift bought at such a great price for us. And so I plead with you today, how do we do that? Take captive every thought for Christ. I've said it so many times from this pulpit. Take captive every thought for Christ this year. Make it your resolve to, in everything you think, whether that's a thought in your head, on paper, electronically, Lord, take captive every single thought for Christ. May I make short work of sin. May I not sign a truce with sin. May I not become calloused and indifferent to sin. Because if I do, the enemy will overrun my life. That sin will multiply. Satan will use it in you. Little leopards become big leopards, and big leopards kill. You will be influenced by sin. You can't help it. Don't think you will escape. You won't. God may use adverse circumstances and very hard times in your life to bring you back to Him.
He loves you. He will not let you go. I want to show you how the Lord does it. And I, believe, I promise you I'm not starting a whole sermon on Amos now. But I want to just show you in the book of Amos how the Lord does this. Look at Amos chapter 4. Now I'm lucky I marked mine. So I can find it. Excellent. Amos chapter 4. And just from verse 6 to verse 13. Just glance through with me. We're not going to look at it all. But just look at how the Lord works. Verse 6 of Amos chapter 4. I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places. So cleanness of teeth doesn't mean teeth hygiene. It means you had nothing to eat. Okay, cleanness of teeth. There was no food on your teeth. And lack of bread in all your places. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Glance down. Verse 7. I withheld rain from you. When there were yet three months to the harvest, and then glanced down, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Verse 8. Verse 9. I struck you with blight and mulled you, pestilences, yet you did not return to me, says the Lord. Verse 10. I sent among you a pestilence, like after Egypt, like that, and yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. You're getting the phrase? Verse 11. I overthrew some of you. Yet you did not return to me. Thus says the Lord, this is what I will do. Now, are you listening? The God's giving you chance after chance. He's put you in adverse circumstances, yet you did not return to me, says the Lord. This is what he will do. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. The day of the Lord is coming. For behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what is his thought, who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth, the Lord, the God of hosts, Yahweh, is his name. Yahweh Elohim. You see, the worst news of the gospel is that you have to understand your sin and the consequences. So that you will appreciate the good news of the gospel. But the problem is, you see, you and I, we try to run away from our sin. I can run away from my environment. I can seclude myself somewhere. I can run from a location I don't want to be in. I can run away from a relationship. But I cannot run away from the sin in me. Because I can't run away from me. Because every time I run away, guess what? Me catches up. And there's the sin. So running doesn't work. You have to come and let God break your heart. Take out that sin. And give you a clean heart. Return to me with all your heart with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments, says the Lord. Let he who hears hear and listen to what the Spirit says to his church here, you and I today. Let's pray.
Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the warnings in your word that we are to deal with sin. And the only way we can deal with sin is to come to our Savior who can take it away from us. And not to learn to live with it and to get clever with it because it will destroy us. Lord, save us from ourselves. Save us from thinking that we've found a way to escape. Save us, Lord. And Lord, I pray for all believers in this church, Wanganui East Baptist, that you would make us aware of the sin in us, that we would be sharpened to that sin in us so that we would bow our knees all the quicker. Save us from getting used to and getting calloused souls because of sin. Make us holy like you are holy. And Lord, may we not make excuses for our sin. May we not justify it. But may we just bring it to you and have it removed. Thank you for Jesus Christ, our Savior. The one who gave us hope. The one that will be there for us when the day of the Lord comes. The one who will be announced with that same trumpet which declares your judgment. It will be his coming. And his standing there for all those who he loves. And we will be saved on that great and terrible day of the Lord. We will be saved because of you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. May we not spurn that love in our lives, we pray. And Lord, I do pray for every single one who still does not know Jesus Christ. May you save them too from that day of judgment. May they come to know Jesus, the only way to find life. May they come today, Lord. Be merciful through your grace and save. I ask this in the name of Yahweh Elohim, the Almighty God who is the only God.